Let's take our Bibles tonight. Please turn to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Everybody loves Malachi chapter 3, don't they? It's the tithe chapter, but we're not even going to get that far, all right? We're not going to look at that tonight. We're going to look at tonight just a short series that we're looking at while we're kind of out of master clubs and stuff because we have a different crowd here than we normally would. And so um, we're going to fill that gap. And then when we go back to master clubs, we'll start back in the book of Acts. And we have about four weeks left there that we will finish up. But for the next four weeks, Lord willing, we're going to talk about how great is our God. And we're going to look at four principles about our God and just learn a little bit more about him. And one tonight will be immutability. Immutability, that's a big word. It just simply means that God never changes. God never changes. And in the future weeks, we're going to look at uh, God is omniscient. That means he is all-knowing. He is omnipotent. That means he is all-powerful. And he's omnipresent. That means he is everywhere at once. And so uh, those all complement one another. He could not be omnipotent if he were not omnipresent. You know, you say, well, he's limited. He can't be everywhere. Well, then he's not omnipotent, is he? And uh, he wouldn't be omniscient if he weren't everywhere. And so we, uh, those all complement one another. They're all part and parcel of who God is. So tonight we're going to look at immutability. God never changes, Malachi chapter 3. When I went to Bible college, I went to college in Missouri of the United States, Springfield, Missouri. And uh, because the college was accredited, there were certain classes we had to take that not necessarily contributed to our major. And one of the classes I had to take was U.S. history. And I remember in U.S. history having to learn parts of the Constitution and Declaration of Independence and all these things. And it stands out to me that that word immutable was in there, and it said that by these immutable things, uh, unchangeable things, and one of them was that all men are created equal. And uh, so that, that was kind of an introduction to the word immutable. It's not a word that we use a lot, but it means unchangeable. I thought Cody was going to preach the message while he prayed, because we sang all about that tonight, didn't we? Yesterday, but Jesus will never change. Yesterday, things were different. Tomorrow, they'll be different again. But Jesus never changed. Sarah just sang that beautiful song about Jesus never changes. Praise the Lord that he is our sure foundation. Isn't it good to have some things today that are not shifting sand? You know, we we just seem like, uh, I'm going to be honest with you, tonight's service, picking songs and asking these folks to sing those songs in particular, was made about noon today. I started contacting them and said, hey, listen, it looks like, you say, why? It's so hard to plan anything right now because everything's shifting underneath our feet. They're just pulling the rug out from under us every time we do something. And we plan uh, things way out and they get canceled and that just gets frustrating. And so we're almost gun shy to plan anything. But praise the Lord, thank you folks for last minute jumping in and singing those songs that will contribute to this thought tonight that God and Jesus never change. So look at he, uh, Malachi chapter 3 tonight. Malachi chapter 3, behold, I will send my messenger and he shall prepare. I'm sorry, before I start, did everybody get a handout? If you did not get a handout, raise your hand. Pastor Paul will come around with one and make sure you get one. And if you need a pen, uh, raise your hand as well. He's got lots of pens, all right? Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, behold, I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? 
And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. And I will come near to you to judgment. And I will be swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against false swearers and against those that oppress the hireling and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and that turn aside the stranger from his uh, right. And fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts, for I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed." Before we pray, Tanner, could I ask you to grab me a bottle of water, please? Thank you very much. Let's pray. Father, we do love you and we do thank you, Lord, for just the reminders in song tonight that you never change. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. Lord, that's something we really need to grab onto in this day of changing tides. Lord, I, I don't know if any generation has seen more rapid change than perhaps the one I grew up in. Lord, the, the, the immorality has run rampant. Things that, uh, that, that we were ashamed to talk about a generation ago today are just common conversation even at a Christian dinner table. Father, we just see, Lord, how our climate in our parliament has changed. Our politicians have gone from being God-fearing people to I'm not sure how to describe it. Lord, they need you. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd help us, Lord, to grab on to the changeless one, as the song reminded us tonight, to hold on to Jesus, who is the, the rock in our lives, the foundation that we so desperately need. And so, Lord, as we sift through these principles of Scripture tonight, Lord, and there's a lot of Scripture, we pray that you'd help us to, to apply the principles to our life. And just simply be reminded that in this day, there's somebody we can turn to who is the ancient of days, who's been there from the beginning. He is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and he knows the beginning from the end. And so, Lord, I pray that you just fill us with your Holy Spirit and teach us tonight. Lord, I need your help. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord has spoken to his people through this prophet named Malachi. He said, I'm going to send a messenger. The people of Israel were a mess. Thank you, Tanner. We're, we're a mess. And part of the mess that they were in was that they were sacrificing unto the Lord in an unholy manner. And God says, I'm going to start with the priests. I'm going to fix the sacrifice and so that their offerings and their worship may be pure. And he says, for you have robbed God. And that's where we get those verses later on. You ask, wherein have we robbed God? And he said, in tithes. And in offerings. And God was going to judge his people for not giving and sacrificing like they ought to. And he slides this verse in here in the middle and he says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Now, why? Why would that be significant? Slid right there in the middle. Because it's a warning to the people of Israel is you should have known this was coming. This has been the way it is. Since all of history, since I laid down my law, nothing has changed. I've always judged my people for their sin. 
I've always tried to correct my people and bring them back to a right relationship. And so there were some guiding principles, and he's saying, I just want you to know, I am the Lord, I change not. Don't be surprised by this. Don't be fooled by others that say that God is sleeping or not thinking about this any longer or doesn't care how we worship or how we give. I just want you to know I haven't changed. And I still judge sin and I still rebuke my people and I still in love try to bring you back to a right place of worship. And that's exactly what was going on in Malachi chapter 3. And notice some tonight as we look at our notes, we see first of all the word immutable. What does it mean? It doesn't just mean that he never changes. It means he's not able to be changed. And I'm thankful for that. You know, we say, well, we, we get down on our face before God and we pray and we weep and we beg God and we change the heart of God. No, you don't. No, you don't. Instead, we see our hearts begin to change and we begin to submit ourselves to the will of God for our lives. That doesn't mean we don't pray and we don't seek and we don't ask what we will and see if God won't give it unto us. But when we seek to consume it on our own lust, we are, we are asking amiss, the Bible says. And so we come to him humbly and asking and seeking his will for our lives because we cannot exert change upon God. But instead, I believe when we pray, if it's in God's will, he releases those blessings and he lets them out because his people have now asked. He's already decided what he will do if we will only ask. And so he says, come to me and seek my face and humble yourselves and turn from your wicked ways and then I have an answer for you. It's I will heal your land. But the answer has already been decided if we will come to him. He is a God that is not capable of changing or being changed. I want you to notice Roman numeral one, some, first of all, explanation. Some explanation. We're going to talk about what this means, and then we're going to give you some application in number two. But some explanation, number one, first of all, immutability expressed. Immutability Express. Now, this is one section of the notes that I have printed out everything for you because I thought it was important for you to have all the scripture. All right. I'm glad you brought me a whole bottle. I can go about an hour on that. Amen. Nobody cares. Immutability Express. Notice, first of all, we see some things about the Father. We already read Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6. He said, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. James chapter 1 verse 17 also refers to the Father. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. How many of you at some point in your life have memorized that verse? I didn't say you have it memorized. Maybe you've forgotten it. I've forgotten a lot of things. But that's a verse that we've kind of heard before, and we've committed it to memory somewhat. Uh, every good gift and every perfect gift has come down from the Father of, of lights, with whom is no variableness, with neither shadow of turning. Now notice the illustration there, the Father of lights. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I have lights at home that can dim. They can go darker. They can go, anybody have a dimmer on your lights? You're all looking at me like a little dim tonight. Come on, now, let's pick it up. And, and I've, got, I've got light bulbs right now that will, I have a light bulb in my upstairs that will change color. i got a box of these light bulbs, and I put one in, and with my phone, it'll change colors. 
It'd be red, it can be green, it can be whatever. And it's, it's a bit of a pain because if, the, if we have a brownout or a blackout, like we've had several times recently, it goes back to a default funny looking color, kind of an orangey color. And so I'm always having to go on and reset that thing. And, and so that's what this illustration is talking about when it comes down from the Father of Lights. But look what it says, in whom there is no what? Variableness. Now let, let, me, let me speak to some of the older folks here who know about incandescent bulbs. You remember those? 40 watt, 60 watt, 100 watt, maybe you got a 200 watt spotlight or something, halogen bulb, or that's a variableness. They have a different degree of brightness, but God is always shining. There's no variableness. In other words, he doesn't change. There's no shadow of turning. The Bible says that, that you cannot block out this light. There's no shadow that can be cast because of the glory of our God. And, and so in other words, he hasn't changed a bit. He hasn't lost any of his luster. His glory has not extinguished in any way. When we look to God, he's as bright and shining light in the universe as he ever was. He has never changed. Notice the next verse we see, James chapter 3, or James chapter 1, but look at 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 29. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. The word there, repent, means to change, to go back, to have a change of heart or mind. Now we're going to find out in the Bible that there's a couple times God says the word repent. It repenteth him. We're going to look at that specifically tonight so that we understand that there's no conflict in the word of God. But uh, taking that face value in 1 Samuel 15, the author here is trying to say, I know a God that he is not a man, and so he does not change. He does not repent. He doesn't go back on what he says. He doesn't turn from his promises. He always keeps his word. And so we see that about of the Father, the immutability expressed. Look at number two of the Son. It speaks of the Son as well, Jesus Christ, Hebrews 1, verse 12. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. In Hebrews chapter 1, we find that there's a, a, a that God has expressed himself in these latter days by his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the, the best way, the best prophet that ever lived, prophet, priest, and king. And when Jesus Christ came, he came to give us his word. And later on in verse 12, it says, He is the same, and thy years shall not fail. He will not change over all the years. He is eternal. He is unchangeable. And then Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, just in case you were wondering if what that really means in verse 12 of chapter 1, it says this, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. We just sang that song based on that verse tonight. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. So we have a God that never changes. He's immutable. And as Cody was saying earlier in praying, that we can count on that. We can trust in him and we can rely upon him because he never changes. You know, it's interesting. I, I saw a little meme about this the other day. If you, do you know what a meme is? Everybody know what a meme is? It's a pig, brother, uh, brother Ferrier here tonight. I, I'm, I'm not trying to insult you or anything, but you're probably the oldest person here tonight, right? You would guess. You don't look at my wife, 90, 91 years old, and he came in today, and he was, he's asking Brother Lipsky something, and he says, where'd you see that? And he goes, oh, I read it in the email that came today. 91, and doing his emails. 
Praise the Lord. Do you know what a meme is, brother? Uh, you do. It's one of those funny little pictures where they put a kind of a caption on or a cartoon that makes you think they're saying something in that picture. They're trying to describe something. And I saw this little meme that, that was describing this situation, how, how things change all the time. And this fella was running out and he was diving, about to dive off this dock and into the water. And somebody yelled, but it's January. And of course, the water was frozen solid and the fella just slid and hit his face on a tree on the other end of the lake. That's what they showed him, bumped up against the tree. And then underneath it says, aren't you glad Jesus never changes? Because that's what the world is like sometimes. You think it's going to be the same. You think you can count on something. You see it, but it changes so quickly. And we live in an ever-changing world. And it's hard to count on what is happening right this moment. And so God, Jesus, never changes. So notice number two, we were talking about immutability uh, expressed in the word of God, but now letter B, immutability explained. What does it really mean? And how does it apply in God as he expresses this unchangeable nature? Number one, we're on page two there, right at the top. Number one, he's immutable in his purpose. He's immutable in his purposes, all right? God has a purpose and a plan, and it never changes. Now, we could be very broad about this, and we could say well, there's a lot of things God has planned. And I would say to you tonight, there's a lot of things that God has purposed and has planned that not one of us know about. Uh, God's mind and, and being is so much bigger, and he's from everlasting to everlasting. There are things that are going to happen. I, I read the book of Revelation, and I get to a point where it says, shut up the book, and don't you speak these things right here. There's some things going on God says you can't even tell people about. And so God has an eternal purpose that, that we only get to see a very small sliver of. But here's, here's part of that purpose that I know to be true when he's dealing with us. Number one... God hates sin. Number two, God loves the sinner. And everything he does in his unchangeable purpose is based around those two facts. That's just the Bible truth. Think, think about that. Why did Jesus Christ come? He came to save sinners. He was not willing that any should perish. He said, oh, but does God okay? Is, was Jesus Christ okay with sin? Absolutely not. Every time he saves somebody, he said, go and sin no more. Quit sinning. And so God hates sin. It caused his son to have to bear the price of Calvary, to bear the price of our sins upon his shoulders. And so everything that God does in relation to us specifically, and, and I'm just talking in a very narrow slice tonight, has to do with his purpose, fulfilling his purpose. I hate sin, but I love the sinner. Think about that. Why did God come in Malachi chapter 3 to judge the priests? Because they were sinning. But why did he say that I'm going to straighten this around and I'm going to get you worshiping right again? Because he loves the sinner. He wants to restore people. And so because of his purpose never changing... God is always true to his mission, always true to himself. And so he cannot lie and he cannot repent. So he always comes. God hates sin and loves the sinner. His purpose is always to work towards punishing sin, but redeeming the sinner. Think about this. 
For the wages of sin is what? But the gift of God is centered around his purpose. He hates sin, but he loves the sinner. For God is not willing that any should. Why would anybody perish? Because of sin. But that all should come to repentance. Why? Because he loves the sinner. We see it repeated throughout the word of God. God loved the world so much that he saved his only begotten son. But he had to give his son because of sin. Because we were lost. But he also gave his son because he loved us and wanted to redeem us. And so it revolves around that eternal purpose. So he's immutable, it's unchangeable in his purpose. Number two, he's immutable or unchangeable in his promises. And his, his promises never fail. Never fail. I, I, I remember reading, and I, I look desperately for this today, and it's going to pop in my mind as soon as it comes out of my mouth. I could not find it. But I remember a time in the Word of God where God said, I'm not going to go up. I'm going to, I'm, I, you know, I think it had to do with Moses. I'm not going to go up to help you possess the land. I am angry and I am fed up with you folks. And God prayed, or Moses prayed to God and said, God, don't let the, your enemies speak bad about you because of Israel. And, and he says, nevertheless, because I promised, I'm going to go anyway. I'm going to do it. Even though I'm angry, I gave you my word. God's promises never fail. You'll notice a couple of scriptures under there, number two, Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. He is faithful that promised. Joshua 21, 45. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. Every promise that God ever made to Israel in the days of Joshua, he could honestly say, everything has come to pass. I've never had to worry about anything. We have sinned and we have failed and we have done, uh, gone against God's will and we have lost God's blessing, but everything he's promised, he has held true. He's done exactly what he said he would do. Hebrews chapter 11, look over there with me if you will. Hebrews chapter 11, we have the great faith chapter. Hebrews chapter 11. All right, Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 11, through faith also Sarah received herself received strength to conceive seed. And when she delivered of a child was, when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. You say, well, you know what? I, I believe that God made a promise to me at one point. And yet I've not seen it come to pass. Let me ask you, did you judge him faithful? Was it our lack of faith that we didn't see things come to pass? And I'm not saying God went back on his word. I'm saying there's a lot of ifs in the Bible. Right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. But if we don't, he doesn't. The blood has been shed. Salvation has been provided. There's a covering for your sin even after you're saved. You can be cleansed by the blood in a daily manner. But if we confess, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and seek my face and pray, then will I hear from heaven. But what if they don't? I'm not saying that God's promises fall along the wayside. I'm saying we don't claim them because we lack faith. 
He is immutable or unchangeable in his promise. And so we just have to learn how to trust him. So he's unchangeable in his purpose. He's unchangeable in his promises. Number three, he's unchangeable in his propriety. That's his character and his integrity, his propriety. And this is really what it comes down to, honestly. This is, this is everything. God's character never changes. Never. I can almost always, I, not almost, I can always be assured that when we sin, it's going to anger God. His character never changes. I see it throughout all the Old Testament. God gets angry with our sins. But I also know this, because God's character says, I love you, that when I come to him, he'll forgive me. I can, I can know that. God never changes. His character is always the same. His integrity is always the same. If I repent, he'll forgive. It's something I can count on. Have you ever had somebody come to you a thousand times and just keep saying sorry for the same thing over and over and finally? Sometimes, humanly speaking, we get frustrated with that. I'm just tired. Why don't you just quit doing it instead of doing it and apologizing? And we just get frustrated with it and angry with it. And sometimes we even cut people out of our lives and say, well, the Bible says to forgive 70 times 7. But you figure I'm at 491 about now, so I'm going to quit. And we just get frustrated. God never gets frustrated. Because his character is unchangeable. If he said, confess your sins, I am faithful and just, that means every time. You don't ever have to worry about it. Now, you say, well, that just means I can go and sin, do whatever I want, just get it right. No, no. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. You don't understand grace at all. Grace teaches us to deny ungodliness. That's what grace does in the book of Titus. And so it's to help us grow and to help us move forward. But there is this thing when we fail and when we sin and when we fall, God is faithful in his character that we can be forgiven. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Isaiah 55, 11 says that his word shall not return, what? Void. We often use that as kind of a soul-winning verse. We're putting out gospel tracts or John and Romans and mailboxes. We say, his word shall not return void. You know, in the Bible, whenever God's word, it comes right out of his lips. And when God gives his word, you can count on it. It's not just empty, hollow words. They're not void. God will keep his word. And so we can trust him. And so we see immutability explained. Now let me give you letter C. And and don't crucify me when you first hear the word, okay? Immutability, exceptions. Exceptions. So there are no exceptions. God never changes. Let me show you what the Bible says, okay? I will say this 100%. God's character never changes. His purpose never changes. His promises never change. Those things are immutable. They are unchangeable. But notice what the Bible says. Genesis chapter 6. Turn there. Let's just turn there. 
For God to never change in his character does not necessarily mean he does not change in his dealings with men. All right? And we have to understand that. He said, well, God promised me, God promised me that that he will always provide and he'll always take care of my needs and he'll always put a roof over my head. He'll never see the children of of God begging bread and, and all these things. And we claim all these promises and yet live a sinful lifestyle. And then we wonder why we're struggling. Well, is God not keeping his promise? He absolutely is. But he changes in our dealings with us based on our behavior. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. But he only chastens us if we're sinning. He's just not running around chasing Paul around the parking lot, whipping him just for fun. That's what fathers in our flesh did, the Bible says in that same chapter. That they, they disciplined us for their own pleasure. But God is a loving God who doesn't do that. He doesn't just chase us around and abuse us and whip us. He only chastens us if we sin. But in those moments of chastening, he treats us differently than in those moments of blessing. And did God change? Not his character. Not his promises. Not his purposes. He just changes in how he deals with us in that moment because it's what's best for us. But listen, listen, it's because in changing in how he deals with us, it brings about his purpose. That's the point. To bring us back into alignment with him. To help us to walk closer with God. And so his purpose never changes. He's always seeking to bring us back to that place that his purpose might be fulfilled in his life. Let me give you two examples. Genesis chapter 6. And it came to pass when men began to multiply in the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men and that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a 120 years. There were giants in the earth in those days and also after that when the sons of God came in under the daughters of men and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which are of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So notice what God notices. Man is wicked. Every thought is evil continually. Verse 6, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. Now, when it says in 1 Samuel that God is not a man that he repents, did they not read Genesis? Because it says it repented the Lord that he made man. A regret, so to speak. But God was, man was created in the image of God. When God created man, he looked down and saw that it was good. So what is the scripture saying to us tonight? Does this mean that God changed his mind? I want you to notice the key, verse 3. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. What is he saying? He's saying up to this point, my spirit has been speaking and speaking and speaking and striving and wrestling and drawing men 
If we were to put it into a New Testament context, we would say he is chastening his people. The Spirit has been striving with man. Now, some people have read that and they said, well, that means they're going to have, from now on, they're only going to have a lifespan of 120 years. That's not what that means. That means there's, in 120 years, there's going to be a flood. I'm only going to strive for another 120. And I'm going to use a preacher by the name of Noah to do it. And he's going to go and he's going to build an ark. And it took him 20 years to get started. And finally, after 20 years, he built an ark. And it took him 100 years. And for 100 years, the Bible tells us in Peter that he was a preacher of righteousness. And by building that ark and preaching God that judgment was coming... God's spirit continued to strive with man and wrestle with man and wrestle with man and wrestle with man. You say, how many got saved? Nobody except the eight that got on the ark, his family. Can you imagine preaching for a hundred years and not having one convert? Must have been heartbreaking. So God says, I'm going to give you 120 years. I'm going to give you a chance to save yourselves. And how would they save themselves? by putting faith in their God and stepping upon an ark that God would prepare for the saving of their house. That's what would happen. And so how did God deal with it? Did he repent in the sense that he turned back? No. For these 1,500 years of human history, he'd been blessing people and they'd been multiplying upon the earth and he'd been supplying all their needs. And yes, now because of the curse of sin, there was thorns and thistles and things were more difficult, but things still grew. There were still trees with fruit and there was still land that bore out vegetables and things that they could eat. And God was providing for all their needs and taking care of them and they still railed against God. So God did not change his purpose. Instead, he sent a preacher of righteousness and his spirit to strive with man for 120 years, begging them and pleading them to get on the ark. And they denied him. They denied him. And as a result, God rained down judgment, literally rained it down upon them. Let me say this, God's character did not change at all. He hated sin, but he loved the sinner. And so he sent a preacher of righteousness. Look at another place in the Bible we see the word repent. Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. You'll remember that Jonah was called to go to Nineveh, a great city full of people that needed to hear the gospel. Nineveh was a wicked city, and Jonah knew it. He didn't want to go there. And so, of course, he ran and fled down to the water and got in a boat and headed in a different direction. And God had him cast finally into the sea where he was swallowed by a whale. A great fish, it says in Jonah. It says a whale in the New Testament. And finally, that whale spit him up on shore when Jonah repented. But Jonah still, his heart was hard. And he went and he began to preach, repent for judgment is coming. And the Bible says this in Jonah chapter 3 and verse 10. And God saw their works, the people of Nineveh, that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them. And he did it not. God repented. Does that mean that God changed? No. Again, God was true to his purpose. God sent a preacher to a sinful people. 
And when they repented, God said, I will no longer judge you. I will show grace. Listen, we ought to be so thankful that God deals like that. Because we were sinners, we are sinners, but he loves the sinner. He hates your sin, but he loves the sinner. And I have to look at these passages of scripture and wonder how many times God, who has never changed in his purpose, never changes in his promises, never changes in his character, has looked out of my life and he's got a hammer ready to drop on me. And the Spirit of God pricks my heart and I repent of that sin. And instead, God takes away the hammer and he puts down grace. That doesn't mean God changed. That means God said, if you do this, you're going to get the hammer. (laughs) If you do this, you're going to get grace. If you trust me. But he never changes in his purposes. He never changes in his character. He never changes in his promises. So let me give you this tonight. We're almost done. Look at Roman numeral two, some applications. Some applications. Because God never changes, letter A, you can trust him to be fair in his proceedings. You can trust him to be fair in his proceedings. Turn to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. I'm, I'm gonna, I know it's 8 o'clock, but I'm just going to go ahead and finish. And uh, the Leafs aren't playing tonight. And you've already had your supper, so you're okay. By 8.30, Mrs. Fury starts nodding off, though. That, that is not a lie. But she gets up very early. Genesis chapter 18. And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the great heat of the day, talking about Abraham. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself to the ground. He said, My Lord, if now I have found my favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, and I will fetch a morsel of bread, and comfort ye your hearts. After that ye shall pass on, for therefore are ye come to your servant... And they said, so do as thou hast said. So Abraham did all of that. I'm not going to read it all. And he prepared them some food, and that's going to take a while. The Bible says in verse 8, he took butter and milk and the calf, which he had dressed, and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. And then he tells Sarah, they say that Sarah is going to have a child about a year from now, and that's when Sarah laughed. And they said, and God says, why did you laugh? She says, I didn't laugh. He says, no, you did laugh. You did laugh. Later on, we read in the scriptures, in verse, uh, God has pronounced uh, judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah, verse 20. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grievous, notice the key again, sin, sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it which has come unto me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou, do also, wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? For adventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? So Abraham knew the place was wicked, didn't he? He sure did, because he started with a pretty small number. 
I don't know how big the city was, but to be called a city, I imagine there was a, a, probably at least a few hundred back in those days. It wouldn't have been huge, maybe a thousand. We, we walked around the city of Jericho. It wasn't all that big, but it, it would house a few hundred people, I'm sure. And so here's the city of Sodom with a few hundred people, maybe a thousand people. And, and Abraham says, would you destroy it if there was 50 righteous people there? Notice what he says in verse 25. That be far from thee to do after this manner to stay the righteous with the wicked. And that the righteous should be as that wicked. That be far from thee. Now listen to what Abraham says. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Boy, that's a question God needs to answer, isn't it? Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? God, I need to know, will you always do right? You're the judge of the earth. That's, that's, that's a lot of responsibility. Are you always going to do right? Here's what he says. And the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Why? Why was God going in there in the first place? Because he hates sin. Why is he willing to spare them for 50 righteous? Because he loves the sinner. Again and again, we see God's purpose come out. And, and we know that God will always be fair in his proceedings, how he deals with men. He says, if I find 50, God, God did not just rain down fire and brimstone. See, you notice what he says? I'm going to go down there. I'm going to look. I'm going to listen. I'm going to hear the cry. I've heard their cry, but I want to know, is everything they're doing as bad as what, they're, what I hear coming up into heaven? And I'm going to look. Now, God sees everything to and fro across the earth. This is, this is a, a, an illiterary style that, that helps Abraham understand what God is doing. He's saying, I'm not, I'm not doing this in ignorance, Abraham. I, I've taken a deep look at this. I know exactly what's going on, and I'm going to judge the people. And God says, will the judge of the earth do right? He says, absolutely, I'll do right. He is fair in all his dealings with man. Listen, you can never claim that God isn't fair because he is always right. He's always right. Number B, letter B. Number one, you can trust him to be fair in his proceedings. Letter B, you can trust him to be faithful to his promises. Now, I'm just kind of reiterating something we said earlier, but I think it's important to remember that he will keep his word. He will finish the work that he started in your life. Philippians chapter 1 says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Christ Jesus. I believe that means all the promises of the word of God can be performed in my life if I'm just simply obedient to him. If I just simply follow him. If I just simply uh, keep my sin in short account with God, confessing it regularly and making sure my heart is right, then God will bless my life. It's just a very, some people make the Christian life such a high and difficult thing. It's very, really quite simple. If you love me, keep my commandments. Follow me. Follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. And we're just to, just to follow in obedience, doing what he says. So many people are trying to, uh, trying to figure out, what, well, what did God mean by that? And what, hey, why don't you just try doing what he said? Just simply obey him. And uh, then you'll know, I, you know, we get it. a while ago we had that, that fad on with the bracelets. And I, I don't know that it was a, a bad thing necessarily, but it was WWJD. Remember that? What would Jesus do? It was a reminder to us that in a certain situation, what, what, how would Jesus handle this? 
But the truth is, we have a whole book of what did Jesus do? We have principles we can draw right from his life. We just need to read it and obey it and follow. You remember the wise man that built his house upon the rock? He is the one that was likened unto a man that built his house upon a rock. He was the one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. Simple obedience to the word of God. So we just must obey. So he is always faithful in his promises. First John 1.19, because he never changes, I can always know I will find mercy and grace when I repent of my sin. If we confess, he is faithful. You can always count on it. And so we are thankful for his promises. Letter C, the last one. Here's some applications. You can trust him to be fair in his proceedings. You can trust him to be faithful in his promises. Letter C, you can trust him to fulfill his purpose. You can trust him to fulfill his purpose. Romans chapter 8. You know, over the years... As a matter of fact, this is a good illustration. Just about three weeks ago, I guess it was, Han Ruth Mendez. Was about three weeks ago we had that funeral. Lady died in Hamilton, and I think she was seventy-two years old, something like that. Died in Hamilton. Been a member of our church. As a matter of fact, Um, got saved after we were there, and um, when Marvin Massacre was pastor, and he baptized her and her husband. And, um, but over the years, that was uh, December, I guess it was just right around Christmas. Between Christmas and New Year's, we had that funeral. <coughs> and we began to reminisce and think back, and we went to this funeral in Hamilton, and we saw a lot of young people that had been in our teen group, and now they're in their early 30s, and, and got to see them. And it was good to see some of those young people, but we looked around and noticed that this lady, her daughter had died back in March or April. I remember Cody and I went down to see the granddaughter, who the granddaughter had been in Cody's youth group down there. So we went down to visit her and counsel her a little bit when her mom died. But then we looked around again and remembered that just 10 years ago, we buried another daughter who was only in her 20s and died of an overdose. And just the tragedy of sin repeated over and over. What a horrible, horrible thing to watch this family go through all these things that that took life after life. And I remember especially at this young lady's funeral, and she was 28 years old, 27 years old, somewhere around there. She'd been in our teen group as well when we first went there. And I remember people saying, being angry with God. Being angry, oh, she was just too young. And why did God allow this to happen? There's two things I can guarantee you. God loved her. And just like he did in the days of Noah, striving with man for 120 years, he had been striving with that young lady and pricking her heart. I remember seeing her in teens, listening to the messages. I remember taking her to youth rallies. I remember taking her to camp, yes. I, rem- I remember standing, walking through the hallway one time, and Pastor Masker stopped in the hallway, and he was sharing the gospel with her and saying, young lady, you need to get saved, and just pleading with her that day. I remember times where my wife had talked to her, and I remember I had talked to her, and, and people there shaking their fists at God, and I'm thinking, no, 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 listen, God hates sin, but he loved that sinner, and he gave her many opportunities. 
But don't ever forget this. God will always fulfill his purpose. And he says, my spirit will not always strive with man. And finally, judgment came to that young lady because of her sin. The wages of sin is death. And sometimes we wonder, we see somebody live to be 100 years old and a sinful life, and we wonder, why did God? Oh, God is merciful. He is not slack concerning his promise. He is not willing that any should perish. He's wanting all to come to repentance. And you can be sure of this, God is trying to fulfill his purpose in their life. And yes, one day judgment will come if they continue in their sin, but God loves the sinner. And so he's continuing to work on them and prick their heart. Hey, one day the door closes for everybody. Just like that ark, God took those eight souls aboard and the door closed. But the millions that perished outside had heard a preacher of righteousness for 120 years as God tried to fulfill his purpose in their life. And they would not have it. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to what? His purpose. His purpose. Now don't stop there. Read the next verse. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What is God's purpose? That you might be conformed to the image of his son. He is exerting his spirit upon you daily through his word that you might be more like Jesus every single day. Sin destroys that image. We don't look like the image of God when we sin. But when we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we begin to grow in grace and God's spirit is cultivated in our lives, then he fulfills his purpose. But listen, don't, don't you ever forget God's purposes never change Either one day you're going to be judged for your sin or you're going to be delivered from your sin because God saved your soul. He never changes. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand. Lord, sometimes we ask God for those things that we think are best for us and we need to understand that we can just trust him because he never changes. He knows what's best for us and he's working all these things together for good so that we might be uh, conform to the image of his son. Lord, thank you for God that never changes. And because of it, we can trust in his purpose. We can trust in his promises. We can trust in his, in his propriety. And we just know that God will always do what's right and what's best for us. Help us to learn and to grow. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.